Hello, listeners. It's Joseph here again. We just wanted to take the opportunity to celebrate another ten names on our £10 tier Patreon level. The Heralds of the End Times. Before we get to the business of the Epsilon Pioneer and the episode to come of Trail of the Loathsome Slime, we'd just like to send our deep-felt gratitude to the following great names writhing in the dark. Shiro Elder. Sam, also associated with the name Caligoo. Ian Brooks. Joe W. Russell Sellers. Patrick Mines. Or that could perhaps be Patrick Minez in the old Hyperborean pronunciation. Ehold. Adrian Tab, or Adrienne Tab. Do correct us if we've got that wrong. John Risley. And the ineffable, yet so distinguished, Pudding Face. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. Without your contribution, the show cannot stagger on to the depths that it dares to attempt. Good news for Danan, those of you who were concerned. Thanks to the stepping in of an unnamed and unknown benefactor, the charges against the poor man, for some still say that he is a man, have been dropped, and with the kind subscriptions that you offer us via Patreon, we truly are able to progress ever further forwards in the storytelling that we love to bring you. And now, without further ado, let us return to those Antarctic waters. And as the Scrimshaw expert once said to the Pit Rivers antiquarian, Ah yes, on with the show. This is Eric Holverson. It is February the 12th. It is 1.12 a.m. in the morning, uh, 1982, and I am making this official distress call. Can anyone hear me? I am the Captain Eric Tolverson of the ship Unitacanto. Come in. We are the Liberian vessel Unitacanto. Come in. Can you hear me? We are under a flag of convenience, the Liberian vessel, and we are in need of assistance. My name is Eric Tolverson. I am the captain of the Unity Council. Come in. Oh, bugger. Please, if you can hear this, please. Unity Council, or Liberian... This ship, 26 men aboard. We are suffering engine difficulties and we are on our way to Griffin Island. We will make stop in the harbour in Griffin Island. We have report of a natural harbour there. I repeat, we are Unity Canton. Can anyone hear me? Come in. If you can hear this, we are making our way to Griffin Island. We will take on water and we will make supply there if we can. We have engine difficulty. We are experiencing extremely bad storm weather and we will be attempting to make repair if we can in the harbour at Griffin Island. My name is... Wait. Wait, what is that? What's that on the starboard bow? Hard. Hard to port. Hard to port. I repeat. Hard to port. I see something. Oh my God. There's something out there. There's something out there. Oh, my God! Apocalypse players present Trail of the Loathsome Slime A second edition Call of Cthulhu scenario by Marcus L. Rowland Adapted for seventh edition by Joseph Chance Starring Dominic Allen as Barney Basker, the documentary maker 
Please, I just want to ask you a few questions. It's for the documentary. Dan Wheeler as Johnny McCutcheon, the ornithologist. We're a plague, like a parasite on the earth. But birds, they like represent uh, hope, huh? Special guest starring Mark Meir as Pascal Giraud, the pilot. It's a pretty sight and one we have waited a long time to see. I am certainly not one to turn down the chance for a toast, especially at the captain's invitation. And special guest starring Adam Megiddo as Danny Cook, the photographer. It's something new, mate. Like some some kind of, like there's a lot of all you ornithologists getting all excited about it. I'd love to snap something we ain't seen before. With Jeannie Spark as Dr. Rosa Thomas Dalton, PhD, the researcher. It, it, it's been eye-opening, um, but also, I mean, what an adventure to to travel to the other side of the world and to 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 have this opportunity to study the the lesser barbed penguin. Dan Ann McAleer as Edwin Crow, the independent security contractor. Listen, I've I've nothing against you personally. I'm just interested as to why a man would seek to go halfway across the world on a boat full of strangers he don't know and just talk to them. And Joseph Chance as your keeper of the arcane law. I've got a few minutes here and I've uh, I've come up on deck to get a moment of quiet. Let's see. It's February the 24th, 1984 still, of course. Ooh, ooh. A bit of a swell there. You know, I would never have thought I'd have such difficulty with nautical voyages. I never had any trouble sailing on lakes or or anything like that. It it never occurred to me that it would be as as difficult as this. Uh, But it's important not to let that become the only thing I focus on 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 a journey like this. Uh, And I've been coming up to make these recordings as a a way of breaking out of feeling ill and um, and a bit isolated, in in truth, uh, to try and focus my thoughts and and, and think about what's to come. And one of the things that I find really exciting is this really is a a cutting-edge moment, not just for me and my work, and also for the uh, Pitt Rivers Museum, of course, but... Most of all, the crossover disciplines of anthropology and ethno-ornithology and, and even geology. It's funny because I think of Mr. Basker as a journalist, but uh, actually he's a geologist who is taking on the mantle of journalist. And similarly, Mr. McCutcheon being an ornithologist, but he's taking on the role of a data analyst. And of course, in my own case, I, I am trained as an anthropologist, but I, I'm going to be here as a sort of multidisciplinary sort of... Um, a go-between. There's a curious way in which everyone on board is having to wear multiple hats, um, maybe with the exception of the ship's officers. Although even uh, Dr. Singh, I've noticed, is is becoming much more of a sort of um, a a pastoral figure than she would ever have wanted to be. Uh, It's interesting uh, uh, here that the way men and women on board ship interact with each other uh, um, of course, not so long ago, it was considered to be superstitious to have a woman aboard ship. Uh, and I have noticed that everybody, apart from Krum and Patel, that there is a certain deference, a certain um, traditional way of treating women on deck, which is, is um, it's really weird. And, uh, and, and this is very much my, my personal journey, of course, but um, I, I, I feel they, that they don't even realise that they're doing it. But uh, it seems to create a a level of division along gender lines. Um, And it's established a sort of bond between myself, um, the Doctor, and, of course, the second-in-command on the engineering team, Dr Peterson. Uh, The three of us, I've noticed, have started to um, share glances of understanding, and and, and, and that has been isolating, um, which is not to say that I haven't found the gentleman's attention um, rather charming... (laughs) Uh, it, it makes me feel the further we come away from civilization, uh, the more I sympathise with the, the people who sailed here before us. It makes me think of the people who sailed to this island before, and, and, and I believe the three of us will be the first women to officially set foot on Griffin Island. Um, but back in time, of course, it makes me wonder who, who may have set foot on the island before. Uh, and unofficially, one can only imagine. 
during the greater hostilities of this century, any number of British, Russian, German, or even Antipodean vessels, and, and, and before that, of course, certainly South American vessels, would have had to drop anchor in the natural harbour here and, and, and take on water. Well, just imagine that those penguins will have seen those ships. God, if only they could talk. <laughs> what, what might they tell us? What, what would they say? Oh, well, um, I sound a bit mad. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I do feel a little less sick. Thank goodness. Um, yes, I think I'll drink some water. Oh, I can't wait to reach land. Join that group of folk who've stepped ashore on Griffin Island. What a special thing that will be. Philpot comes charging around the corner. He's got two kitchen knives. And he sees Brown there in front of him, and he just sinks them into his neck. Shit. And then blood goes everywhere, and foam from his mouth goes everywhere. Fucking hell. But it's all contained. And he screams and says, Blue Sapphire! Oh, fuck. And then then he cuts his shirt open and charges out and goes straight into that rope and goes flying, skidding across the deck. Um, uh, landing at Bas- uh, Basker and McCutcheon's feet. And he's kicking and thrashing around. Oh, God. But every time he tries to get up, he slips in his own blood and this foam and this vomit that's coming out of him. And he's like a, he's like a writhing, sick, epileptic wail of a man. Jesus Christ. Oof. Actually, McCutcheon, because you were on the floor, could you give me a luck check? Yeah. Bloody Nora. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's a regular pass on my lap. Nice. You're you're scrabbling up and you've scrabbled away, so you've got the edge on Basker. Um, I have a question. The crew? Do you say it's, the crew is twenty, or the total number of people on the boat is twenty? Uh, above twenty. I didn't give you the the, the full number. You didn't give us no. the full number. Okay. Uh, I think my last count, there's, 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 you would know this. There, I think there's 24 people on board deck. 24, including us. This, uh, you know, um, it's a, uh, it's a multidisciplinary expedition with a, with a few BBC hangers on. I mean, um, it's hardened journalists, <laughs> respected geologist. Uh, uh, sorry, this guy who's collapsed on the floor. Is he still holding his knives, or has he dropped them? You passed your luck to me. Yeah, he's dropped one. He's dropped one. It's right at your feet. I pick it up and back off. Nice. Love it. Good. Yeah. Oh, the 80s. Yeah, love it. Who conserves, survives. <laughs> Who dares, wins. Barney Basker. <laughs> Jeff Philpot. Well done, White Dwarf 1983, for coming out with the character Jeff Philpot. Marcus L. Rowland. <laughs> It couldn't be a more English 80s name, as far as I'm concerned. He sounds like a footballer, doesn't he, for, like, Leighton Orient. Jeff Philpott. <laughs> yeah. Second season of Leighton Orient. Yeah, I think he played yeah. for Borough back in the He's age. only got one kitchen knife now. I think he might be a keeper. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I meant a goalkeeper, but that was good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you think, Barney Basker? So this guy's sprawled on the floor in front of me and he's writhing around, right? Yeah, he's trying to get up. I'm assuming that probably, given what I... Th- probably think about Crow. I'll have taken the microphone boom arm off him as soon as I tried to punch the last guy. Um, So I imagine I'm holding that. I think I might attempt a manoeuvre, which is to to drive this boom arm down. Spear. Spear him in between the eyes to knock him out. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love it. What? (laughs) Just shouts, sound speed. Fuck you. (laughs) Rolling. Mm, I talk big, but the dice never really back me up. Let's see what happens. <laughs> hey, that'll do it. 45 on a 50. Oh, I've oh. completely fluffed that. I've really fluffed it. Drop the mic straight into his brain. <laughs> now, are we making manoeuvres easier than they should be? I'm a bit nervous about that, but it's too, it's, it's too tight. Um, to it's, the same as, it's the same as fight back. Yeah. So if, if, um, if I've beaten his level of success... 
uh, the maneuver yeah. is successful. Yeah. Is how it's supposed to go. As far as I know. I remember what it is. It's build. I'm looking it up here. Build is what counts. Um, it's particularly important in a manoeuvre. Now, well, luckily, Basker's a big fella. Well, he's a tall fella, isn't he? And you, so I think, as it freakishly as it turns out, my guy is big too, so he's build level one. But I think looking at your stats there... Oh, it's not marked. Your count sheet's not marked. Ah, but, yeah, no, look. Your strength and size, your build one as well. So, as it happens, no penalty dice, no uh, no penalty dice either way. So, if you build three, you would get wow, that's an impossible attack. But build two would be two penalty dice. Build one would be one penalty dice. But in your case, you build one. He's build one, so it's all fair. So the maneuver the maneuver stands as it is. Perfect. Okay, well, it's good. Good. It's a beautiful manoeuvre, and you you get him you get him squarely in the in the um, between the eyes. Uh, can you give me a um, damage roll? Uh, yes, this is where I come into my own. What's the damage on that? Do you think just a d three? Um, no, I think I think it's a it's one of those retractable ones, right? Yeah, I imagine it's metal. It's an improvised weapon, so it's at least a d four. I think it's a d four. I got even d four plus one. Okay. But you get damage if it's a manoeuvre. Well, I don't. That I don't know. That I can't remember. Yes, you do get damage from manoeuvre if your goal is one whereby damage is intended, which I think we can safely say, spearing a man in the face with a tripod. Your intention is to hurt the son of a bitch, right? <laughs> I mean, it might be enough damage that it would knock him out anyway. If it's a major wound. Yeah. Uh, let's see. That's uh, two plus my damage bonus of three. So five. Oh, nice. Very good. Okay, so his eyes almost comedically begin to move into the centre of his head and uh, and he, tr- he desperately tries to stagger up but he sort of slumps down, dribbling onto the deck and the other knife goes goes clattering and then you, you hear an, a terrible scream and Dr Patterson the leader of the expedition team to review the longevity of her station. She's the engineer, second in charge of the engineers behind the the American leader of the engineering team. Mm. She comes ch- charging around the front front deck and Duff charges and grabs her. Fuck her. So there's this sickening sensation that you saw her and then she just kind of gets knocked straight off her feet and she goes away and she's effectively above where the bridge is on, on your map. She goes out of sight, uh, and Duff is engaged. Mm. And behind you, Cook, you hear the distinct voice of the leader of the ornithology team, Eric Schmidt, Professor Schmidt, saying, What's going on? People have gone crazy. You have dinner with these two every night uh, at the captain's table. That's also how he starts every conversation. Absolutely. So Patterson is one of your bosses, Crow. Yeah. And uh, Schmidt is your chief boss, Rosa Thomas Dalton. And Johnny McCutcheon, Dr. Blathby, is the second in command for the ornithology side of things. Lots of names, of course, for you to remember. I mean, it is White Dwarf in the 80s, after all. Mm. Obviously, Cook, you don't report to anyone. Hmm. I think so. Jiro, it's questionable whether you do or not. It's usually Warncliffe, really, who you were reporting to. Uh, on, on which point, uh, Warncliffe slides along and then slumps down, but but he slumps face first. Bangs his head and goes, oh, what's happening? Leave me alone! Uh, but he's, he's still aboard deck. Uh, Rosa Thomas Dalton. Hello. You're almost uh, next to Danny Cook. Uh, the door's off to your left. Yep. The lifeboat's back to your right. Yes. Flare gun over to the right. Yes. Um, and the stern of the ship to your right. Yes. Uh, and how close or far away are we from the nearest action? You two are... You and Cook are ten yards away from the epicentre of the fight. Okay. And and Giro stands between you in a, as a comforting presence. Basker seems to be extremely useful, much more so than you would ever have expected. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised. He's like a hoplite. <laughs> I didn't uh, 
I didn't take such a chatty man to be a man of action, but I was wrong. Uh, surprises me. Uh, I think I'm going to go for the flare gun. Yeah, you're going to you're going to run back to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good move. Okay, you you run over. It's got one of those glass panels, mm-hmm. uh, which you'll have to smash. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. Ooh, uh, could you give me an idea, Will? Yes. As you as you raise your elbow up and bring it back, oh, which is your education? So, uh, no, in- intelligence, intelligence. Uh, I've got a seventy-four and an eighty, so just. Yeah, you're very intelligent, on you? Yeah, yeah. But as you put it back, you think, oh, but that's something they do in the films, <laughs> uh, and it may be reinforced glass because of the because of the uh, temperatures. Um, uh, so you might have to use something to smash it with. Okay. Uh, uh, that isn't helpfully provided. Uh, is, there, is there something on your person you could use which is, might be heavy enough, or would you like to try kicking it? Uh, I don't think I have anything heavy enough about my person. Let me just check that. Uh, I mean, maybe the dictaphone, but I wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the only thing that I have that might work. In which case, you could either sort of wrap your elbow, uh, or you, you could try the kick manoeuvre, uh, which which would be... An attack. That's the, probably the quicker one. Mm. If you wrap your elbow, uh, I'll say that this is all you can do this turn, and then got it next turn. Okay. But if if you kick it, I'll, uh, I'll let you get back into the fray. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm going to wrap my elbow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you and you're working away at that reinforced glass, and it's breaking, and you're getting it. Zero. There's a weird impasse, uh, which you're all too familiar with. And you hear Jones going, oh, I think he might have severed an artery. Patel goes over to him and goes, you're right, mate, you're right. And he's sort of trying to help him. His, and Patel's hands are shaking. It's a pressure on that wound. And how easy is it for me to get a knife in my hand? Yeah, you could grab the other knife. It's right in front of you. Yep, I'll grab that. Question, uh, how much of my personal equipment do I have on me? I think I, you know what you're ta- what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, yes. So you have um, your utility belt, but your bag is... Um, in in your cabin, unless you're going to tell me otherwise. Mm, I don't think we were coming up for a toast, yeah, yeah. so it makes sense it would be in the cabin. Uh, so I will grab one of the knives, uh, look up at uh, Basker, and just say, eh, "Nice work, my friend." <laughs> British thumb, British thumbs up is given. <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've shouted to him to to I guess to try to apply first aid. I, do I know if this? Uh... Yeah, Patel seems to sort of steady himself with those words. And there are no targets in sight, right? We've got the cook is dead on the ground. Well, to, to Duff just ran around the front, above, uh, above the bridge. Okay. So you could investigate that. And yes, the doctor, doctor got uh, nabbed by him, right? Yeah, distressingly, uh, Dr. Patterson has just been sort of grabbed by this big figure of the overweight figure of Duff. I mean, he's a really big guy. Uh, the coxswain, and it is distressing the way that they've just sort of disappeared out of sight around the front of the, the, the raised level of the bridge. You maybe hear a bit of a... Ah! Uh, so I'll just shout to the others, like, follow me! And then I've got a knife in my hand and I'm running forward. I'm running with a knife. <laughs> Giraud complimented my physical prowess and then shouted to the others. <laughs> I say into the microphone. <laughs> as, as you chase up, Giraud, with a with a sort of sense of that, because essentially that combat mm. has ended, and you can all sort of declare to me where you want to go. Yeah. Um, but you hear on the loudspeaker tannoy from the bridge, uh, you hear second mate Rothman suddenly go suddenly, and it's a, there's that classic kind of high pitched ear squealing sound, um, and uh, ear, ear squealing, pig squealing, ear breaking sound um, of. Of feedback. This, he's up here. He's going crazy. He's going crazy. I tell you. And then, um, and it sounds like someone's on the bridge. Oh shit! Uh, Rothman was steering the ship at the helm. Fuck. He was on, he was on duty. You're to go up on the bridge, aren't we? Rothman's capable, not as friendly as Ericsson. I mean, he takes part, and you know he does sing along when Ericsson does his. Where songs. is Ericsson? Have we seen uh, him? Yet? No. Ericsson, Rothman, and Warncliffe oh. have all been to the island before in the seventy-six 
adventure. Mm. That's when they got the eggs laid mm. in them or whatever. Mm. <laughs> well, maybe that's when they got their immunity built up. Funny, I had 20 Rothmans. I'm going to come back to Crow. Yeah. Well, I know. I mean, I've already, in my head, as soon as I see, what was her name? The head of the engineering corps? Patterson. As soon as I see her getting shouldered by um, Duff. That was right, right? Duff. Um, yeah. I just have an immediate flashback to being in the lanes around uh, Greencastle near Omar in Northern Ireland, where I got snatched myself from, uh, you know, a, a, a manoeuvre. And uh, I, I just think back to that solidarity of never let someone go, and I immediately dash straight towards her. That's my next move, but yeah. Oh yeah, and actually on that point, if, if everyone could give me just one minute with um, Edwin Crow alone. Yeah, yeah. Can I, before we do, can I, oh, yeah. can I ask for just a moment of clarification on, on, on who is where? Just so we, that's yeah. sort of to percolate. Yeah, yeah. So I have Crow and Giro moving, um, they're moving down the ship to the, to the to the bows towards the front of the bridge so in terms of crew so Duff oh Duff yep had tackled he'd tackled Patterson Patterson who's the she's the engineering head of the engine second engine second and then engine. did you mention Dr. Smith we've seen Dr. Smith alright uh, no no uh, you, you mentioned that name but we haven't seen her him her when you said Smith I, I instantly went English but Schmidt Dr. Eric Schmidt is uh, towards the stern Behind Crow and Bolton. I see. I was sure you'd mentioned someone else, and I couldn't work out who it was. I don't know why I didn't go Smith to Schmidt. Well, because it is. Ah, you're thinking of Blathby. Oh, Blathby. Sorry, not Smith. Who you know from his? He's quite a quiet character. He's actually the guy in charge of the ornithology team, uh, and is quite a brilliant intellectual, but quite a difficult person to spend time with. He, you know him for his habit of scrimshawing. He likes to scrimshaw. In fact, you probably had a couple of conversations with him about about why he loves scrimshaw, and it's probably the closest you've ever got to sort of getting to know him a bit. His family were actually whalers, uh, and that's how he picked up the habit of scrimshaw, uh, like several generations back. And you had a particularly... Um, I suppose, insightful conversation with him where he certainly implied that he'd taken up conservation almost as a response to the history of whaling in his family. And you got the impression that he was, like you, a pacifist. But yeah, you don't know where he is at the moment. You haven't, you haven't seen him uh, in the last... You haven't seen him this morning and you haven't seen him at all in this battle. Oh, Dr. Blathby. Oh, that's... Yes, Dr. Blathby. I'm sorry, I might have said Blathley... Uh, once or twice. I think I might have said Dr. Peterson instead of Dr. Patterson as well. But anyway, we can work that all out. Fine, okay. Fine, I'm glad I've checked. <laughs> okay, let me let me grab this moment with um, you, Danan, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, literally just one minute and then... Cool. Yeah, I was just thinking, since you've invoked the name of Greencastle and Omar, counted her own, uh, I think, I wonder if there was that day, wasn't there? Because there's the drive out from Omar to Greencastle, north... Uh, northeasterly, and it, it, you you remember that day, and you were dashing along uh, with another uh, a private in the engineering corps, a fellow sapper. Yes, he was driving, and you had the opportunity to look out onto the onto the wide green expanse, and it did uh, even at that time of year. It had that that freshness of the of the wide green. Northern Irish, not plain, is it? But it's got that distinct quality of the verdant green. Yeah, yeah. And you remembered passing the the stump of an old tree, and there was just something about the angle of the of the bark on it, and the way in which it had weathered and deteriorated. In the, it just looked in that moment like the face of an owl, but a, like the head of an owl upon the body of a man, and. The memory of it comes back to you flashingly clear because as you're running up on the metal plates that make up the wall beneath the railing that runs the length of the, of the port side of the ship where the, where the captain has made his toast and, and now has turned into this the border of this battle 
You're running towards the front of the ship, towards the the bows and the yeah, and the um, towards that entrance to the bridge uh, up at the front of the ship, and yeah. it's just the shape of one of the vents uh, that comes up. It just in that split second, it, it echoes that moment of dashing past and seeing the face, and and in the black hollow of the of the pipe of the vent that comes up out of the ship. Yeah. It's as if you just see this owl's visage again. It's only it's only for a split second, and, the, and you don't need to roll sanity, you don't need to... Uh, do you, have, you don't need to have an involuntary action, because this is almost like a memory. It's almost like a kind of trigger of trauma for you, I think. Uh, if that's okay with you, and... Cool. I think, if anything, it spurs you on. And I think it's weird because it brings to mind, of course, that thing that you saw on the coast back in England as a boy. And you don't know whether it's an omen of warning or whether it's a sense of someone watching over you, whether it's a thing of dark and ominous power or whether it's a thing of inspiration, perhaps. You've never been sure... But it does take you back to that thing that you saw... Around Robin Hood's Bay. Exactly. Yeah. You may have noticed the name Crow being the same as the the couple who put us up in Robin Hood's Bay. I do remember, yeah. That face in the pipe, in the vent, makes me remember. I remember first, I remember being on patrol in Tyrone, somewhere between Dungannon and Straban. I think we'd come up from Omar, just south. And we knew there were cells up in the foothills of the Sperrins. We wanted to check them out. And I remember just being in the pig with Smith. Oh, Owen Smith, who was another sapper. He were driving. Good bloke. Um, young, but good bloke. But I remember I just I was pressing my face up against the window, just lost in the fields and the edge rows suddenly seeing this figure, this this person sort of straight up in the middle of a field, all like all in brown, and it had this face, these eyes, and this face just looking at me, hooked and curved, looked like predatory, you know, snarling in the fog. It was like an owl's head on a man's body. I remember nearly shitting my pants and shouting to Smith, and then I saw it was just a tree. It was sort of a like a tree stump hit by lightning or something a while back, all crackled over. And I, I'm there about to piss myself laughing at myself, and then, just as I'm thinking it, the fucking sun appears right next to me head, and the car's on its side, and my ears are ringing, and the piglet's fucked, and there's blood in my mouth, there's glass in my hair, and there's boots all around me, and I'm dragged out face first. I know we're in Greencastle, we're at Crockenboy Road, just east, half a click past the turning and then I'm in the back of a van with a fucking bag over my head just smelling fucking dogs and petrol and and I don't know where I am and I'm I'm in some family home it seems like smells like wet clothes drying, there's soup on the hob there's cigarette smoke, children laughing and that's where I am for fucking months in that fucking airing cupboard tied to the pipes with dishcloths Another one in me mouth, just cold, damp, dark. That's why I can't stand it down there. The cabins, the corridors, I still can't stand it. But I remember being in there, and I remember I knew where I'd seen that face before. When I was just a kid, walking back from (laughs) crabbing with Derek in Runswick Bay or something, uh, magic hour, twilight, and... Or a bit later, and I know it's later than it should be, and I know my pa's going to thrash me when I get in, but, you know, it all felt worthwhile until then. And I remember pegging it across the gorse and my legs getting scratched, and I hear it, this sound, this shrill, high sound like a bird, but it was deep too, that sort of rumble, like a... makes your marrow freeze in your bones. felt like I was going to shit myself, like a lion it's not hungry it's just letting you know you're in its territory you know it's not your enemy but it ain't your friend and I saw this 
this shadow just stretching out across the sky. I remember it like I'm there now, just covering that blood-red sunset above me, this cross shape like, like a man flying, but too big, too long arms, wings, whatever they were, but its face, these golden orbs, the eyes, like, like a wet pebble off the beach at their town, and, you know, they were like embers, and that sound, and its face. I knew why it was, of course, everyone did. And then it were gone, away, south toward trees, merged with the darkness till it weren't there anymore, but I'll never forget that face and those eyes and that more. And it felt free. And I remember when I got back, got back home, my dad weren't even mad, strangely. Seemed distracted, but he were happy. Seemed like he didn't even realise how late I was. But, you know, he warmed me food and he got to his lines for the next day and my ma too, she was the same. I think I tried to tell him about it. I said, I saw the owl man. I've seen him. She would just hum in some song, this melancholic song. No, there was a sadness behind it. I remember just feeling those ash keys on my necklace and, well, that's what I feel now running along the deck, bumping against my chest, and it makes me feel home. Makes me feel home. You feel this, this the swing of the of the keys, the ash keys that you that you keep tied there. You just, you just feel the brush of them against your skin as if something is unlocking a memory or perhaps more but then you're totally taken over by the activity of you've got to save Patterson go cool. does that does that work oh and yes. there's um, yes I should do some I should do some bookkeeping with you as well so I was going to give you mighty three Cthulhu mythos Ah. Uh, uh, but um, could I ask for three sanity for that? You could indeed, yeah. I'll change that now. It's a very fair trade. And also I think the bonus is that you feel... You feel this instinct. That there's something connected here. There's a doubt in your mind. The mythos is informing you. Yeah. Something about the way all of these weird things are happening at once. The violence, the extremity of it, the suddenness... Your senses are tingling. Yeah. Your crow senses are tingling. Yeah, yeah. And there was something about there was something about the frenzy with which Duff launched so suddenly. Almost like an, an owl diving on prey. It felt unnatural. And yeah, I mean there was maybe a little bit of a trigger. Yeah, yeah. How's your mania or phobia doing in that moment? Are we here? My mania is um claustrophobia, which is why I said at the start you've probably seen me out on the deck a lot more than other people. Yes, I liked that. I liked the yeah. corridor reference, because they are like, horrible, those ship's corridors. Yeah. Nice. He's, uh, because basically he was uh, he was snatched during manoeuvres in, as I just mentioned, in Northern Ireland, mm. and yeah. locked in an airing cupboard and questioned for, like, months. So he's like, yeah. developed Nasty. extreme claustrophobia from that. And that's also why he quit the army, because some of their questions made sense to him. And he's just sort of... Yep. You know, backed off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pure contracting from here on. Why are you here? Why? Why are you? Here? Well, quite. <laughs> shouldn't be. You shouldn't be here. No, Fuck off. Not at all. <laughs> uh, that 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 sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, great. I'll bring the others back. Come back. Come back. Marvelous. So Crow is sprinting up there as well, right? That was that was the plan. So I think both Giro and Crow. Yeah. Uh, are are moving towards Duff and Patterson. It's all very public school, isn't it, all these surnames? It's the only way I can remember it. In fact, her name is Dr. Norma Patterson. Norma. And that's right. Also quite a 1980s name. Uh, so, Johnny McCutcheon, what are you going to do? I mean, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> that's what he's thinking to himself. <laughs> 
Reasonable. Um, I am inclined to see if I can find another, like, not this door where crazed people keep coming out, but another way down. Is there another door that leads down to that? So there's a door effectively where Duff and Patterson are just now, just above the, or just, um, I keep calling it below the bridge, but it's that sort of sense of going to the front of the ship. Yeah. Uh, bows. Or you could, or there's the run around onto the other side. And there's also a way back down, looking at the cross-section. You can take the stairs down to the winch level and go in through the diving locker. It's a bit complicated, yeah. You have to come back up through the diving locker. Mm-hmm. No, no thanks. Um, so there isn't, I mean, there isn't an obvious clear route to the lower to the lower decks. The run-around, you describe. Well, the ob- the ob- well other than the obvious one... No, you could go. You could go in. I think the the bridge is the closest. Really out of my depth. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I think in that case I'll just follow. I'll follow Giro, who's just yelled, "Follow me!" I'll yeah, do so. Yeah. So you're sprinting off, well, running or moving, <laughs> slightly faster than walk. Who knows? Uh, so, D- Danny Cook, any decisions? You've you've been there. The drops, the rope's been dropped. Uh, I'm going to head to the bridge. You're going to head to the bridge. Yeah, I'm uh, warming up the flash on my Nikon camera, and I'm heading to the bridge. And you're going to go into the. You're going to go over the body of Brown, or are you going to follow the others? Up? The most direct route I can take. Uh, the most direct route is probably through the ship. Yeah, so to duck in over Brown. Hmm. Um. And take the corridor straight down. Let's do it. Um, okay, so you duck in, and uh, um, I think uh, Basker McCutcheon. You, I think you're probably aware of that. Just out of the corner of your eye, he's gone in that way, mm. uh, which might give you pause. I don't know, but um, but Basker, you see that? Yeah, Rosa, you see it too. Just. I will then, since you've offered me that. I will. Um, I, I think I hesitated, and I think I follow Cookie towards the bridge. I think I'll take that opportunity of the hesitation as you hear another static burst and you hear Blathby, no! No! Blathby! Put it down! From Rothman. And then you hear this <laughs> And it sounds like there's a fight happening over the controls of the ship. <laughs> Fucking hell. Now Blathby is also one of your top table team obviously. Dr. Blathby. Yeah. How many people at this stage have, have headed to the bridge? Uh, well, technically everyone's heading, but Cook's gone his own way. He's gone into the ship. Um, um, there's another way in, well, under the bridge. It doesn't actually go to the bridge directly. It goes in underneath the bridge. Mm. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. I feel like my instinct is to follow the majority, but slightly back, and I'm catching up the listenership... Yeah. with what's happening. I really look forward to these outtakes. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> After this startling and unexpected spurt of violence, the majority of the team have headed to the bridge to intercept what is clearly some kind of fevered mutiny. <laughs> <laughs> so, Basker, you and McCutcheon pass each other, going opposite directions, and you hear that, McCutcheon. I don't think we will see any penguins today. <laughs> <laughs> As you reach the steps that lead up to the bridge, Cook, at the end of your turn, because, I, I mean, it goes dark initially and you can't hear anything, you know, you're being cautious, but you sort of hit... Uh, there's a lurch. Could you give me a dexterity check? Because you're the only one who's indoors. There's a lurch of the ship. Miss it by ten. Would you like to push the roll or spend some luck? Let's push it. Mm, hey. Nice. 55% chance, right? Oh, sorry, 55, then I made it. Yes, you're absolutely right. I thought, my fi- I thought it was 45 for some reason. It's good, it's always good. Uh, yeah, I, make it, I rolled 55. Perfect. On the nose. So you, you, is that by the fingers you grab hold of the helpfully placed banister, the metal white painted banister, and you just grip it as as the whole, the, the whole ship lurches to the right... And then you hear this this intense sound of engines starting. And then you lurch. Everybody lurches to the right. 
staggering, staggering, and then everybody is pitched forwards. Uh. Everybody apart from Cook, who's holding on to something. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Uh, Dalton, could you give me a dexterity check? Because you are right next to the the safety line and the glass panelling. 70 on the 75. And actually, do you know what? McCutcheon, because you were close to the door, I'll give you the door to grab hold of. Uh, if you can pass your dexterity check. Uh, I have. Right, so the three of you managed to hold on to things close to you. Unluckily, Basker, Giro, Crow don't have the option. And by, this, by the wailing sound of, of Dr. Schmidt, he doesn't have much of an option either. As you hear, Nine Scheiße! Ah! Funk! Um, and he goes flying. Fuck. And sliding forwards. So you're discombobulated by the right... Um, steer pitch which is very heavy and sudden and wrong and, it, and it, there's a nasty swell as, as a result but then full full steam ahead has clearly been hit yeah and you guys all need to give me a, a dexterity check not to hold on to something but to see how well you're going to possibly be able to stop right sliding into the wall uh, that's a 49 on a 70 nice uh, 41 23 on a 30 smashed it so you've all passed. Yeah, good, good work, team. Okay, so one of you hits, 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 you know, the floor with your knees. Uh, that hurts. And that was probably the forty-one or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, uh, but the other two of you, there's a sort of sliding down. You're not on your feet. All three of you are off your feet, but none of you are hurt, and you're and you're sort of staggering to control the the slide forwards. You get this weird sensation of being pushed back by the sheer speed, uh, but you manage to halt yourselves in an unembarrassed fashion. <laughs> you see the captain, Basker, slide straight forward. You know how those uh, metal sheets have sort of T-bar supports um, every mm. sort of 10 yards um, mm. they're welded on? He just goes sailing straight into one of those, smacks his head on it, groans. His cap rolls off. There might even be a little bit of blood, uh, but you're, then you're past him. Mm. He's just slid forward in the ship. Step over him. <laughs> oh, well, you're not you're you're parallel to him, so you don't even have to do that. Oh, fine. The the tannoy goes. Get off! Get off me, or I'll do something. Fuck. So clearly that that battle is still going. Tannoy's coming from the bridge, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could everybody give me a spot hidden roll apart from Basker? Very good. Almost a fumble, certainly a fail. Basker, I'm just going to ask you... Does it matter how badly we fail it? <laughs> I think probably only if you fumble it, but, <laughs> I mean, it always matters, doesn't it? But no, I mean, I'm more interested to see if it's a fail or... Okay. If it's a fumble, then, yeah, we'll bear that in mind. Mm-hmm. So, Basker... Actually, do you know what? Cook and Basker. And could everyone else take off their earphones? Yeah. So, Basker and Cook, could you give me a... Uh, what's your um, psychology, or do you have... Uh, do you have a skill for presenting or acting? I've got quite a good psychology skill. I also have a good persuade. Um, my my psychology is pretty basic. I've got quite good charm. Can you give me a charm check? And Cook, uh, Danny Cook, what's your charm like? Charm is. I think you are the right man. Thirty. Thirty. That wasn't the one, was it? Persuade. Persuade is sixty. Yeah. So give me a persuade or a charm roll, whichever's higher. Persuade. Rolled exactly 60. It's a hard success for me. Hard pass. Yeah. Good. Um, you're, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with you, uh, apart from you're a bit concerned this ship is out of control. And I think I think it's safe to say when the events are over, there may be a niggle for the two of you about something you might have missed. And yeah, I think there's a nagging sensation about performance. You feel like you've missed something. It's a very unsettling feeling. You did both pass, so I think you do get this slight... Your senses tingle mm. with with the knowledge of something about performance. But I was really looking for an extreme success, so that's the way it's fallen out. But we'll come back to that. Mm. Come back, everyone. Come back. All is forgiven. Out of the four spot hiddens, I'm not sure if Mark can hear me, but I think he can. Um... Regular success from me. Did anyone get an extreme? Me. I rolled a four. Ooh. On a 65. Nice, nice. So something something isn't right. 
you may know that much. It's <laughs> pretty clear. Because because of the horrors that are going on around you, uh, and you're too adrenalised to be able to focus on it. But if you manage to survive this battle, there's something about what just happened. It's not, it's not to do with the physical reality. It's to do with the sound of the tannoy. Sounds wrong to you. The sound of the tannoy. Okay. You can't place it, mm-hmm. but that's, that's what you are aware of in that moment. Dalton, it's your turn um, in, within this. Uh, it's only because there's one more combat round that I need to deal with. Just off, off camera, but going turn by turn for this moment. Very good. Uh, how's it going on the flare gun? Have I managed to... You've got it. You've got the flare gun. I've got it. Brilliant. You're safe. You haven't hurt yourself. No damage. And you managed to hold on. The ship's righted, but it's going incredibly fast towards the island. Yeah. And in fact, the, the island is now dangerously close, as far as you're concerned. Oh, fuck. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think much like Basker, my instinct is to stick with the majority of the group. So I'll probably head to the bridge following the largest number of people. So the largest number of people is definitely the people who you can see just going around the corner. Crow, Giro, Basker's still there. Yeah. Uh, McCutcheon, you're passing McCutcheon, who's going in. He's literally been holding on. So he's the closest person to you. Um, But you're going to ignore those two going in and you're going to go around the outside of the ship. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Are you going to sprint or are you just going to run to join them? Uh, I mean, depending on how the motion of the the boat is, it's moving fast. It could get rocky again. You are a bit nervous about that. Yeah. I think I'm probably just going to keep low and kind of crab dash across the... Steady crab dash across to this. Okay, so I think that team, you all come round the front of the ship, the bows, from the port to the starboard side, uh, and you can see Patterson has managed to steady herself while her attacker Duff is about 10 yards away further down the, 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 the ship and is turning around but he has a boat hook Ooh, horrible and he's charging at her so I'm going to say that Dalton's out of that because she caught up but she does have the flare gun for mm. the next action but I'm going to go with Giraud as the first to act yeah. This guy Duff is going to charge Patterson. Okay, well, I reckon I will stick him with a knife, right? Mm. Yep. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Uh, I will be like, Dalton, Dalton. Uh, he has gone, uh, how you say, barking man, eh? <laughs> and. Okay. That is a 34 on a 60. Nice. Hey. Mm. Not quite a hard success. A proper Quebecois farewell. Uh, now it's a kitchen knife, so it's not as it's it's not a it's not a commando knife, unfortunately. <laughs> but I will give you. Um, so uh, D four plus two. It's a D six, isn't it, for a medium knife? Let me just double check how that went for him. Badly, I thought it would. But, but you get any damage bonus? But you don't get a damage bonus to you because you're not quite clear on the strength. No, I've got uh, sixty strength. Yeah. yeah so it's D six. Ah, I have rolled a six. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where do you Where do you hit him? Hmm. Right in the eye. Oh. All the way through the back of his head. Oh. But I don't know if six points of damage is reflected with that. So. Well, it's a major wound, so I think. Okay. Um, I think you do, you, but it, but it's sort of on the outside of the eye, but kind of therefore kind of cleaves some of eye, and oh. you could possibly save the eye with surgical attention. That's not really what I'm going for, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All right, so the six points of damage. Disturbingly, he swings, misses you, howls, but it doesn't seem to quell him. I mean, it should it should bring a man down. Right. You can just see the start of this foaming in his mouth. Well, you know what? Next time, I'm going to stab him again. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I will try. Crow, Crow you're up Aye. next. Aye. Um, anything hard I've got on my person? Uh, I think probably, uh... Have you got a hip flask? Yeah, hip flask I've definitely got. I think as I run towards and see this... Yeah, yeah I think, uh, Giro's slightly ahead of me. Pascal's slightly ahead of me. But I get the hip flask out, it's just, I want anything solid, and I just want to jam it into his throat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Such violence. I know how to end a fight quickly. It's not about the head, it's about the neck. And I... Jam this uh, the butt of the hip flask into his Adam's apple. 
Give us a give us a brawl check. I shall. And again, I'm out of practice. Ah, 33 on... Uh, well, that's good. Yeah, that is good. Not a hard, but a good. Give us your damage. Ah, yes. Ooh. Where do you... Where do you... Oh, you're in the throat, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely. More dice. Here we go. Wait, what do I roll for damage? On a hip flask. Oh, yeah, okay, so that'll be... Uh, let's give you... I'll give you a bonus, so it's D4. D4, okay, great. Plus, do you get a damage bonus on, on your strength and size combined? Uh, my damage bonus is 1d4, but... It's 1d3 damage with fists, isn't it? That's a that's a 4 and a 1, so 5. Ooh, my word. So, uh, I mean, he just... He, he goes down. Uh, the blood is pouring out of his face. And this... this I mean, he's a big he's a big guy. He's not dead. No. Um, but he collapses. There's even a sort of vague sensation that he's clutching at his throat. Yeah. And then he looks like he's starting to try and wrestle something. And he goes, oh, get off, get off, get off. But no one, none of you are touching him. No. He's kind of coughing and like bits of phlegm and frothy blood. Oh, actually, yeah. Could you give me a luck check? Yeah. All right. Happily. Crow. Uh, that's uh, a two on an 80. Sweet. Some good rolls. It's kind of perfect because I suppose like bits of froth and foam fly past you, but they astonishingly sprayed all around by this kind of gross foam, blue foam. Uh, they don't touch me though, right? No, no, no. Absolutely not at all. And that's an extreme success, isn't it? So I think I think that rewards you with this very interesting perspective as you, you dive out of the way and this froth sort of flies across, miraculously missing you. And and you can hear this narrative going on between Duff, who's sort of ogre-like, rolling around and this boat hook has kind of slipped away from his hands, and he's sort of trying... To, he's fighting demons, it feels like. And you, Crow, and maybe Giro, you get a perspective of this as well. The two of you, the two combatants, seeing this man down, scan back from this viewpoint at the front of the ship, the bows, where you're not quite right at the front, but, you know, you get to look back and you can see the slick trails of blood... Uh, and injured people sort of running with wild faces. Their faces look like they're, they're traumatised. I mean, luckily, the two of you have seen combat because you can see on those who've not faced combat, there's still a whole load of processing going on with the, the trauma of these people sort of... Uh, people have their hands up by their faces in, in almost comedic but oh-so-authentic terror of the violence that has burst out on ship. And I think you also, particularly you, Crow, because of that superb dodge, you've just got an angle almost onto the other side, the starboard side, and you can hear combats going on. Like Perhaps it's just a a freak drop in the wind for a moment. And you can hear yells and and clangs and and running, and there's all these other battles going on, you you realise, on the ship. And it... You, you know, it's not a mutiny. The two of you are fairly convinced in that moment. I think all of you in this moment are convinced it's not a mutiny. It could be an outbreak. You know, that spray of foam was perhaps an underscoring of the dread of how close it could be to being uh, an out-of-control outbreak. But there's this weird sensation of chaos and almost as if you can hear some high laughter... And then the coolness of your combat experience kicks in. And no doubt you have an opinion about the gods laughing at you aboard a ship far, far to the south, hundreds of miles away from civilization in alien waters. And this perspective deepens and the camera pulls out and we see the ship from on high. And the synth kicks in. What do you think, Barney Basker? <clears throat> Hang on a second. One second. 
He's being asked an important question by his mother. <laughs> He's probably being asked if he wants any pudding. <laughs> Shut the door. <laughs> I can't. I can't do the accent without the key in. <laughs> do you want custard or ice cream? Do you want, <laughs> want pike? Pike with that. Do you want pike? Look. <laughs> no, I went full northern. Sorry, but we don't. Yeah, me too. Fucking hell. <laughs> Are you being offered a pikelet? I wish. Mum, ice and butter. Cup of tea. Do you need a cloth for your fingers? Good night. Cup of bovril. It was Easter. We had to <laughs> have, we had to have one of us back at the old Alameda. The West Midlands. Where the fuck are you from? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Staves. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult with Edwin Crow. He's puts all off. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, so this guy's sprawled on the floor in front of me and he's writhing around. Ooh, I'm crumble. With custard, yes. <laughs> <laughs>